0: Romans text, and we're moving down throughout Romans chapter 8, and today we are going to talk about a topic that is unique and special to us as Christians, while it may be something that is rather difficult words that are rather difficult to to understand if you don't know the Lord, and today's title of the sermon is, You're Adopted, You're Adopted. Now, those two words often carry an enormous amount of weight, and truth be told, they are almost always negative, whether it is an older sibling telling a younger sibling that they are adopted, or if it is the fear of a child finding out as a teenager that their parents are not actually their parents. For most of us, these words are negative words. You're adopted. That's the last thing most of us would want to hear. Now, for many of us, the reason that is so bad is because what could be worse than us finding out that the family we grew up with, the family we knew and loved, what can be worse than finding out that that family isn't actually your family? For many of us, that would be the end of everything we thought we knew. Now, the reason these words can be leveraged as being so bad is because most people who view these words in a negative way come from a family that they actually want to be a part of. The only reason you're adopted would be negative words is because you love the family you're in. It could be nothing worse than finding out you're not actually a part of that family in the way that you thought. But I think understanding the context behind these words will help us understand why it means so much to us as Christians. I know of a home for girls not far away from where I work. It's called Grace House. And it is a place where those girls are because they have been displaced from their homes, many of them because of abuse or mistreatment from their families. In other words, they were born into bad families, and there are probably no two words that they would actually want to hear more than you're adopted. See, the context of where we are in life, where we feel like we're placed, that changes how we receive those two words. For those of us who are part of a healthy family, you would never want to hear you're adopted. But for those of us who are born into brokenness and abuse and mistreatment, the best words you could possibly hear, you're adopted. Look at how context changes those, the meaning of those words. What if for us, what if things aren't as great as we think they are? What if spiritually we are actually wanderers without a family, and in need of a home. Doesn't that drastically change what those words also mean to us? Today I want us to see the beauty in those two words, you're adopted, and I want us to see ourselves as we are or were, and realize that when we were saved, we were adopted. We were adopted from a family of brokenness, a family of sin, into a family with an imperishable inheritance. And to see that, we're going to go to Romans chapter 8. We're in verse 14 today. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 14. Paul writes this. Now, just think about everything that he's been saying so far in this book. Children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Let's pray. Lord, as we get ready to jump into the word today, God, I pray that we will hear the weight of these two words and understand the impact that they have on us as believers. God, all of us who know you have been adopted, and that should shape and reframe how we look at ourselves, God, but we're also going to see today how that should reshape and reframe how we even look at those who are lost. Help us grasp this truth today. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I want to pay special attention to verse 14, and I want to ask and answer this question today. How do you know if you're adopted? How do you know if you're adopted? Now obviously when you come from someone biologically there are some natural traits that you just inherit from them, some genetic traits that you take away from them and you just know oh that's so-and-so's boy or that's so-and-so's child. You just know it because you understand some features you just cannot deny, whether that is the way your eyes look or the size of your nose or the way that you walk or the way that you talk. There are some biological traits that you just know. I'll never forget, There was this day, it must be a West Side thing. Um, I'll never forget, There was this day I got a text from Christy. And she said, hey, I'm sitting at this barber shop, And she said, this little boy looks just like this girl I know. She said, can you look her up on Facebook and see if this is her son? And I remember thinking, what in the world? And I said, yes ma'am. And so I started looking it up. And I found pictures of this person with the son. I sent her the picture back. I said, I think that might be him. She said, yep, I knew it. I said, now how in the world? I said, "Is, is the mother not there? She said, no. This boy has his mother's exact face she knew just by looking at this boy who his mother was again might be a other side of the town kind of thing to be able to do that but we know what to do when we are looking to see if somebody is related to somebody but how do you know if somebody is adopted You don't naturally inherit a set of genetic behaviors. You can't look at this person and know whose child they are. But I will say this. Even for those of us who have been adopted, when you live with someone long enough, you start developing the same quirks they have. You start acting a little bit like them. You start thinking like them. You start talking like them, you might even walk the way they walk. You might like the same teams they like, eat the same food they eat, because there is something that happens, even for those of us who've been adopted, when you're in the presence of someone long enough, you start to reflect them. You start to look like them. You pick up some of their mannerisms, their traits, In the same way, Paul says, even though we are adopted, we can still show signs of our adoption. He says, and because we are adopted, the sign that we have Christ as our fellow heir and God as our father is this. He says, the evidence of your adoption is that you are being led by the spirit. The evidence of your adoption is that you are being led. Now, this is one of those passages where I do think that Paul is communicating something that is a bit more complex than what we think it is. Yes, overall, he is talking about the Holy Spirit, but he says something about the spirit of adoption. What does that mean? Adoption for the Christian is in an interesting category. It is in the already not yet category. There are components of us that has been adopted, but like we're going to see next week, we are fully awaiting the completion of our adoption. Look how he puts it and how we know that he is talking about the spirit of adoption. He says this. He says, you have not received the spirit of slavery, but the spirit of adoption. Now, why do you think he makes this point? I think it's because there is both a fine line and a wide line between a slave and a son. And honestly, if you just walk into a house one day. Especially if I remember the way I grew up. It is hard to distinguish whether or not that is a son or a slave. Because a son may have the same responsibilities that a slave may have. For the son, it is to keep up the things that the parents don't want to do. For a slave, it is to keep up the things that the master doesn't want to do. Son, You say, well, a son gets his own room. Slave gets quarters. But there is something that distinguishes the son and the slave. It is not just that they have a different status. It is in the spirit of how the individual commands them to do what they want them to do. Whether or not we realize that even as parents, when we tell our children what to do, we do so in a spirit of love. In the spirit of love, we do it. Even if there is a leathery warning awaiting them, we do it in the spirit of love. But for a master, you do it with that person in the spirit of slavery. And they obey not... As adopted children, they obey as slaves, fearing what will happen if they do not obey. See, they have a different status, but what seals that is the spirit of the instruction. So when he says to us, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, let's think about what that actually means. That means that as we obey God, we are not doing it the same way the Jews did it. The Jews obeyed God in the spirit of a slave, fearing what would happen if they didn't keep the commandments, if they didn't cross every T, if they didn't dot every I. And what happens to us sometimes out of fear We become so restrictive in how we live that we don't do anything we do for God, for love. We do it for fear. He says, you have not received the spirit of adoption only to turn back and behave like a slave. That's the greater message. That is the greater message when Jesus tells the parable of the prodigal son. You have the two sons, and obviously we know about the prodigal one who ran away, but that older son had an issue. That prodigal son comes back, and he says, you never did for me what you've done for him. And you realize, though he had been a son, he had only obeyed like a slave. Because his father says, don't you realize that everything I have is already yours? But he was only obeying so he could keep the inheritance. Slaves have no inheritance. But children, children don't obey so that they can get an inheritance. We obey because we have received. And inheritance there is a reversal in our motivations when we actually know the Lord now all of us at some point we were children some of us were more obedient than others some of us were a little bit disobedient but all of us at some point though we were grateful for our parents though we were grateful for a house, for food, we didn't want to take out the dishes. We didn't want to clean the dishes for the food that our parents had freely provided for us. We didn't want to take out the trash where the remnants of the food we ate because our parents had provided for us. We didn't want to do it. There are times that the rooms and the shelter they provided for us, even though we obeyed, I can't stand him. I can't stand her. I can't wait till I get my own. We have murmured and complained, even though it has freely been provided for us. Because even as children, when we lose perspective, sometimes we behave like a slave. In the same way, Paul's warning here. He's not saying that there is anything we can do to undo our status as children. But he's saying, don't be the type of child who acts like a slave. He says the spirit of the slave is not only do they fear being disciplined, but they also complain about having to do what they have to do. He says, but you have not received the spirit of adoption to fall back into that spirit. Did this happen with the Israelites? Of course. They had been provided manna from heaven, though they had been wandering. All they did was complain about how God, their father, had provided for them. All they did was look back and say, it's not enough. You brought us into the wilderness to die. They all imagined that everything they got, they deserved more. Even though God repeatedly told them, but I set my love on you. I chose you, not because you were great, but because you were small. You are my people. I am your God. Now, they're complaining did not change their status with God, but their complaining changed their affections for God. Y'all, it is so easy for us, just like Israel, to behave as if God does not love us even though he does. It is so easy for us to look at the things that God has provided for us, namely our salvation, and think, not enough, God. I need more. But Paul's warning here is, even though that can't undo your status with God, it will surely strain your relationship with God. In the same way that a complaining child can't undo themselves ever actually being the children of their parents, it will certainly strain the relationship the more they complain, the more they murmur about the things that have been provided. Now, I want you to imagine this, to put this in a little bit of perspective. Say an orphan is at some point adopted, and they are invited into this new home from homelessness, And they get a room, and as a part of being a child, they are expected to clean that room. And instead of gladly cleaning that room, having been adopted from a place where they had no such room, they shout out in anger, but I didn't ask for this room. The parents stand bewildered, and they ask themselves, how could this child be so ungrateful? See, while the status of that child may have changed, they were not being led by that change. Paul's warning is not that those of us who have been adopted can undo that change in status, but it can mean that we at times will behave like slaves rather than sons. And so what is our reminder We have to remember what the price of our full adoption was. Remember what we said last week. Jesus dies on the cross to complete the redemptive process, and now we are effectively in him. And with that being the case, with us being in him, the Father now sees us. As he sees his son, Jesus. It reminds me of Matilda. Her teacher, Miss Honeydew, from the second she saw her, treated her as she was her own. Now, if you've seen Matilda, you know that she didn't have great parents. And there was nothing more that she wanted than to be loved, than to be recognized than to be adopted. She spent more time with Ms. Honeydew than she did with anybody else because she enjoyed the time that she had with her. You could say, by all accounts, she was adopted in spirit. But then, at the end of the movie, sorry if you haven't seen it, her full adoption is completed. Before her adoption was formalized, she was in the spirit of adoption. But then, when she's actually adopted, that change in status also meant a change in relationship. She went from student to daughter. Ms. Honeydew goes from teacher to mother. Since we have been adopted into this new faith family For us, God is no longer this far off, out there, scary, distant ruler. But now, he becomes our father. We have a relationship with him. We don't have to fear him the way the world fears him. Yes, we revere him. But we revere him the way a child reveres their parents. Paul says that in that change of status, we now can call him the same name that Jesus called him, which is Abba. And that little Aramaic word may not mean much to us, but it is the name that Jesus most commonly called his father. That means that in that special way, Like any of us who are parents, and you can be in a room full of kids, there is something about when you hear your child say your name, you like, that's mine. There is some way that your child cries that maybe no other person can know is yours but you. In the same way, there may be a lot of people saying, I love God. God is my father. But there's a way that we call him that the world has no accessibility to him. Recently, my dad's Instagram page got hacked because, as you know, the older you are, the more likely is your page you gets hacked. And they immediately started messaging me. Which is weird, because y'all know we don't even have the same last name. So I'm like, what's going on? And I, and I immediately knew from the messages that it wasn't him. And I said something like, what do I call you? And they said, you call me dad. And I said, I never type that out. That's how I say, I know it's not you. And then they blocked. Because there is a unique way that all parents and children can correspond to one another. In the same way, because of our new relationship with God, we can correspond to him in a new way. I think the Bible makes this clear when it speaks about how precious that communication is. It says that if he is our shepherd. We are the sheep. And just like our voice is distinct to him. Guess what? His voice is distinct to us. So flip it. Just like you can be a parent in a room and hear your child, you can be a child in a room. But, you know, your parents voice. We are now at the same level with Jesus in our connectivity to our father. And this makes sense now to me. When the old saints would say, he is a mother to the motherless. He is a father to the fatherless. When the scripture says, if your mother and father forsake you, I will take you up. Yes, our status has changed and we're grateful, but because of that change in status, we now have a deeper relationship with our Father that we did not have before. We can know and trust that He is with us and we can trust and know that He hears our prayers and that now that we know Him, we will never be forsaken. What a privilege. What a a fellowship. Paul moves on to say something really important here for us. He says that the Spirit bears witness with our spirits. The Holy Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are, in fact, children of God. Now, how does the Spirit do that? Well, we've learned that the Holy Spirit is our guarantee of our inheritance, In this sense, we can see that the spirit represents those papers that say you have been adopted. And the Holy Spirit bears witness with the spirit of adoption that we are led by the spirit. Earlier, I mentioned that those who are adopted will often take on the characteristics of the people who adopt them. And I want to give you this scripture that we're going to see next week. Romans 8, 29, it says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Since we have been adopted and now that we share the same familial status with Jesus, we also start to look like him. We start to talk like him. We start to live the way that he lived, and we start to do the work that he has called us to do. When this happens, we are being conformed into his image. And this is what it means for us. But as I get ready to wrap up, I want you to think about this. What does this mean for those who don't know the Lord? Well, one, it should make us rethink how we actually view people who don't know Jesus. I fear that we have only seen unbelievers as homeless bums instead of helpless orphans. But maybe we do need to rethink it. Think about how differently you feel about a homeless adult versus a homeless child. But if spiritually they are apart from Christ, no matter the age, no matter the offense, they are orphans. Orphans who are awaiting Adoption. First Peter 2 and 10 says this. He says, once you were not a people. But now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He says that when we were not believers, not only were we apart from God, but we weren't even a people. We weren't a part of a family and we hadn't even received mercy. If those who don't know the Lord are in fact orphans, while we don't seek to excuse their behavior, we should better understand it. An orphan will often have a dim outlook on the future and their uncertainty of what's ahead, that lacking in inheritance, makes them focus more on themselves and finding pleasure in the moment because when you're an orphan, you don't know what the next day will bring. I remember when I came face to face with this one time, this is one of the most difficult things I'd ever come face to face with. I'd had a student who was at that same girl's shelter that I mentioned to you. And she had, I believe, a 23 in my class. She had not turned in any work, and she was a senior, and this was her first year at the school. She had not turned in any work. She was not doing anything she needed to do. Very sweet. But she wasn't doing anything that she needed to do, and I remember how frustrated I was with her. And one day I was just in my office and she walked by and so she came in there and we just started talking and I always ask Grace House Girls how did you end up where you are? And so I asked her and in the most casual nonchalant way she goes oh my dad killed my mom. And then she said and he shot Four of my eight siblings, but they didn't die, they lived. And she talked about how the woman that she had stayed with had been abusive and how she had been fostered and adopted but then sent back off and she told me once you get a negative record in the system, you end up at places like Grace House. And I remember looking at her and saying, it is a miracle that you even get up every day. I'm upset that you're coming here not doing work. I don't even know how I would get out of the bed every morning. And it changed not what I expected, but it changed how I came alongside her and met her where she was. And I'm reminded of what Paul says. When we get high and mighty and we get frustrated with the world, At the end of the day, Paul said it like this. To the Jew, I became as a Jew. To the weak, to the weak, I became as weak. And then he says, I made myself all things to all men so that by all means, he says, I might draw some. He doesn't even say, I do all this and I'm going to get all of them. He said, I'm going to bend over backwards. I'm going to make myself. I'm going to become a Chameleon, and I still will only get a few. Y'all, the call for us, yes, we have been adopted. But spiritually, there are people still orphans who desired that same adoption that we have experienced. How will we change the way we approach the lost? We can sit back, we can scold the world for not being where we are or knowing what we know, or we can realize that the lost, they're actually lost. They're orphans. They're orphans who are groaning and longing to be a part of this new family. And when they are joined to this family, like us, they will become heirs. And we're going to talk a little bit next week about what that actually means. Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you right now for the word. God, this These two words, you're adopted, they can be life-saving. And for all of us who are in this room who know you, they have saved our lives. But Lord, the truth and the reality is also this. There are many wanderers out there. There are many people, God, who do not know you, who need to be adopted. There are many people who are orphans spiritually, who are seeking shelter. Lord, this should motivate us, one, if we have been adopted, not to behave like slaves, but to be free, to freely love you and freely obey. But this should also help us when we approach those who are lost to do so with grace, with truth, with love and with mercy, knowing that they as well are in search of a permanent permanent home and a forever family, which they'll only find in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.